Hi, I'm Mike, lead pastor at The Ridge, and this is our weekly podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our desire is for you to grow in relationship with God, connect with others, and to experience God's purpose for life by adding value to the life of another. I hope that this message will build your faith and encourage you as we seek to grow together in God's Word. Enjoy today's message. Well, the book in the Bible called Joel begins this way, chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, the other locusts have eaten. Any guesses why Joel isn't on the most read books of the Bible list? I mean, you look at this, and there's no cordial greeting. He doesn't start out with a nice little word of encouragement from the very get-go. It's kind of confusing, and it feels like gloom and doom. You think, man, I got enough of that kind of stuff in my life already. No thanks. Well, we're not going to skip it. We're, we're going to try and understand it because I believe that if we understand what God is saying through the prophet Joel, it's not discouraging. It's encouraging. And we'll get to that part. First, a little background information on Joel. A lot of people assume that he lived during the end days of the Old Testament since his book is near the back. Actually, the Bible is not arranged in chronological order. Joel is one of the earliest prophets in the Bible. He was before Isaiah. He's before Jeremiah. He came before Daniel. Many scholars believe that this Joel was a student of the renowned prophet Elisha. Well, Joel received this word from God during a season when Things weren't going very well in the southern kingdom of Israel called Judah. They had had some bad leaders that weren't following the Lord. There was civil unrest. There was economic uncertainty. Most people believed, man, our nation is headed in the wrong direction. Joel steps into that moment, speaks into that context to diagnose and say, here's the central problem of what's going wrong in our land. Let's try and hear his words again. Verse 4. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, the other locusts have eaten. Well, Joel, he opens up this book by giving us this vision of an upcoming locust plague. Right? You get that. There's a lot of locusts in there. There's going to be a plague on its way. But what, what what does that mean? We'll start with that. You've probably seen a locust. Right? They, they look like this, not one of God's most attractive critters. They're like grasshoppers on steroids. If you go outside this evening in late summer, you can usually hear the, the song of a locust and it sounds kind of sweet. That's not this. What Joel was talking about, he says, there's not just going to be one or two locusts in the trees singing. There's going to be a whole swarm. There's going to be an invasion of them. And you know how that works? An invasion of locusts, it starts small. 
It begins with an egg buried just a couple of inches beneath the soil. And then after a few weeks, it hatches, looks like a large wingless ant, and it's hungry. It begins to eat everything within a few feet of its hole. It soon discovers it has the skill to climb. It starts going after the plants and the flowers. After a couple of months, this locust, it grows wings. And when locusts get their wings, look out. A swarm of flying locusts can devour everything in their path. Joel puts that this way, verse 7. It has laid waste to my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. A swarm of locusts is like a, a teenager at dinner. <laughs> Nothing left behind. Cleared it out. So here's what we've got. We've got all these locusts. We're thinking, okay, I hear that, I get that, but what does that mean? What's that represent? What is God telling us through this swarm of locusts? What's he saying to us? What's Joel talking about? Well, most scholars will look at this locust image and say there's really two layers to what God is speaking to us here. The first layer of interpretation is found with this, chapter 2, verse 2. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes. That's a reference to the Babylonian army. Joel, he's saying, you know, if you guys stay on your current path, if you keep on doing the things you're doing, if you keep on living the way you're living, God is warning us. He's going to allow the Babylonian army to come in and wipe us out. It's one layer. And that layer was fulfilled in history. The second layer of these locusts is a more general connection between sin and consequences. See, these locusts, they work a lot like sin works in your life and in my life. God is good. We see that in history. We see that through the Bible. His law is good. He doesn't show us His way to burden us. He does that to keep us from harm. He does that to protect us. He does that to bless us. So, well, what's sin? Sin, we could describe it this way. It's anything that we do or anything that we don't do that diverges from God's way. And sin, it often starts small. Just a little tiny egg that seems so harmless. We think, man, I'm not murdering anybody. I'm not stealing anything. This is just a small thing. It's no big deal. Nobody's even getting hurt. Well, inevitably, Joel is saying it's going to hatch. It's going to grow. It's going to get wings. It's going to cause damage. See, you and I, we're pretty good at spinning things today, and we can find ways to spin the, the sin in our life any way that we want to spin it, but Joel is cutting right through that spin and saying, you know, whatever you do and whatever you call it, the reality is the wages of sin hasn't changed. Wages of sin have been consistent throughout all of history. Paul puts that this way in Romans 6.23, says the wages of sin is death. 
And maybe you've heard that, but you're thinking, well, you know, I've done a little sin in my life, but I'm still here. I'm still alive. I, I didn't die because I sinned. Well, what does that mean when, when the Bible says that sin is the wages of death? Well, again, two layers. One, someday we will come to an end with our physical bodies. That, that, that is in our future. The other layer to it is this, the death that comes along with sin that the Bible talks about, it's not just physical death. It, it can include the death of our integrity. It can include the death of our character. It can include the death of our contentment or the death of a relationship or the death of trust the death of a preferred future, the death of our identity, the death of our potential, the death of our inner peace. God, he's not some ogre that's in the sky. He, he created this world. He knows the way that it works. It, it, it may seem like just a tiny little insignificant egg, but God, he knows. He knows that egg's going to hatch. He knows that it's going to grow. He knows that it's going to develop wings. Joel is saying to them, and he's saying to us today, sin, the consequences haven't changed. It's going to cause pain, hurt, loss, damage, harm, fear, guilt, regret, anxiety, maybe not immediately, but someday. And God, God doesn't want that for you not what he wants for you you know sometimes what god does we may not like it but sometimes god he allows a locust or two to get into our lives to wake us up to get our attention to bring our hearts back to him before we get hit with the whole swarm so before we get to the rest of Joel, there's still some good, encouraging stuff coming. Well, let's ask ourselves a question and just do a little introspection. Is there anything like this locust invasion happening in your life right now? Is there a, a, a locust that's maybe nibbling a little bit at your soul? Any warnings from the Holy Spirit? Any, any locust that might be pointing you to an area of unfaithfulness? Is there anything going on in, in your life where you're asking God to take it away, but maybe God is allowing it to get your attention and change your direction. Well, what do we do with that? Joel continues. Chapter 2, verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me. Return to me with all your heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and abounding in love, and He relents from sending calamity. He doesn't want to do that. He would rather than sending calamity into our lives, He would rather than we experiencing the consequence of sin. God's desire is for us, when that happens in our life, to well, repent. That's the word that the Bible uses, is this word repent, and it's not a very popular word today, and it's widely misunderstood. I want to take just a moment to explain that to you. Repent, repentance isn't just getting it out so that we feel better. 
Repentance, the word, it literally means to change, to change your mind. Repentance, as the Bible talks about it, it's not just guilt relief, it's life change. It's saying and recognizing, God, I see what you're saying. I see your word. I see your teachings. I see your truth. I I don't always live up to that. I don't always follow all of that. And I just want to start by saying, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm going to put my trust and my faith in your ways and what you teach and what you're saying. And so it starts in our heads. It starts with a change in perspective and saying, God, I'm going to trust you and your word and what it says. And it's also a condition of our will. It's a decision. It's a decision to stop doing something or maybe to start doing something. It's a commitment to say, God, I am open to actually changing. And and then this, verse 13. Rend your heart and not your garments. See, when it comes to repentance... as we see it in the Bible, it's not a formula. It's not just a, a little prayer that we can read and we can recite. It's not just a hoop that we can jump through. God's not saying, hey, just go get some rosary beads and rub those around a little bit and then I'm going to be happy. Well, no. Repentance, as we see here in Joel, at the center, it's a condition of our heart. It's what's going on inside of us. Do we feel it? Do we really deeply mean it? Well, how how about you? You have any locusts? Joel's saying, look for them. See if you got any locusts in your lives and then repent. Just tell God, God, I'm sorry. God, I want to change. Spirit, give me the power to be able to live out that change. And here's what I find. I find that We don't have to hide it and we don't have to pretend because God, He already knows. And He still loves. Here's what repentance is. Here's what repentance is in my life. Repentance is an opportunity for me to very personally experience just how forgiving and how gracious and how good God truly is. I invite you to try it. It's not discouraging. I find it very encouraging. What happens next? Say we identify, hey, I got locusts going on in my life and I repent. What happens when we do that? Well, that's where Joel goes next, verse 19 in chapter 2. I am sending you grain, new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully fully satisfied anybody interested in that i'm like yeah i'm in i'd like to be fully satisfied i'm sending you grain new wine and olive oil enough to satisfy you fully well that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to get more it may mean that god will give us contentment with less fully satisfied Sometimes God works this way. Sometimes God blesses us with more stuff, but sometimes He gives us a greater joy for the stuff that we already have. Sometimes God will bless us by taking the pain away, but other times He'll give us peace in the midst 
of our pain. Well, ready for the best part? This is Joel 2, 28 and 29. This is one of the favorite couple of verses of mine in the entire Old Testament. Check it out. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Well, that sounds pretty exciting. When's that going to happen? When's that going to be fulfilled? Well, the passage says, and afterwards. So we should be asking, well, after what? This passage, it was the future for them, but for you and for me, this passage, it's the past. Afterwards refers to after the resurrection of Jesus. Really cool thing. After the cross, Jesus, he's resurrected, he's raised from the dead. His disciples, they're, they're really, they're thrilled about this. They're like, yes, we, we, we have living proof that what he says is true. They're thrilled about the resurrection. What happens? So Jesus ascends into heaven. And he says, hey, I want you guys to go and to tell the world, I'm alive, I'm resurrected, I want you to go spread this to everyone. So what do they do? Peter goes to Jerusalem, very first sermon that takes place after the resurrection and after the ascension of Jesus, Peter, he uses this passage. All the passages he could possibly use in the Bible, after the resurrection and ascension, Peter, he goes to Joel chapter 2, 28 and 29 to say, hey, I want you guys to know what life with a resurrected Jesus looks like. It's this. He said, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Those days, those days are these days. The Holy Spirit is available, not just to some, not just to a few, not just for those who are working on the staff of the church, but to all, to everybody. Joel is saying here, and Peter was saying here, the Holy Spirit is available to all of us. This invitation from God, this is incredibly wide open, inclusive. Look, look closer. I mean, no category is left out. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. All people. Hawkeyes and cyclones. Was <laughs> that too soon? <laughs> oh, well, went there anyway. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Sons and daughters, both genders. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Old men, young men, all ages, even on my servants, all social classes, I will, both men and women. He gets to both genders again. And then in verse 32, he adds this, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
a word about that, about that being saved part of the thing. Being saved here, it doesn't just mean going to heaven when you die. It does mean that, but it, it means more than that. It means being in a restored relationship with God through Jesus now. We can experience that now, and we can experience that forever. Through Him, we can become the very people that God created and designed us to be. The Holy Spirit is available to us and given to all who choose to follow Jesus. So what does that mean for me? And what does that mean for, for you? It means that Christianity was never designed to be about one leader, but rather it's a movement. It's a movement where everyone is invited to play a significant role. Everyone, all of us. God's plan is us. All of us. That's what Joel's saying here. And afterward, after the resurrection, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. The kingdom of God is not just some theoretical future kingdom in the clouds, but includes the here and now. It includes people today who have been forgiven, who have been restored, who have been made whole through Jesus and have been empowered by His Holy Spirit to choose to live life God's way in communities that He calls church. You and I, well, we're the church when we gather. And we gather in person, online. We gather, well, on Sundays. You know why we gather on Sunday? Well, there's a very specific reason for that. We gather together corporately on Sunday because Sunday, Sunday is Resurrection Day. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, that was Resurrection Day. It's Sunday. We gather together on Sunday to remember that, to celebrate that. We believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Savior God and that He has been resurrected. He's alive on our good days. He's alive on our bad days. He's alive when we like what's going on in the world. He's alive when we don't like what's going on in the world. So we gather, and, and we gather week after week after week to worship and to sing and to praise and to pray and to open this book because the Bible, we believe that God has spoken and He continues to speak through it. And, and so we listen. And as we listen, we seek to renew our minds and realign our hearts, and to respond. And when we gather, many of us also, when we gather, will serve. Right? It starts out there in the parking lot. Serve in the parking lot, or serve with the kids, or serve at the doors, or serve at the coffee stations, or serve on the stage, or serve in a classroom. By the time I open my mouth, Jesus has already been proclaimed. How? People serving. Not serving themselves, but serving others. People say, well, why? Why would anyone do that? 
Why would anyone stand out in a parking lot in the morning and kind of point people where to go? Why would anyone do that? Why would anyone stand in a gathering space and greet people and say hi to people that they may or may not know? Why would anyone do that? Well, here's why. Not because they have to, but because they want to. Not because they don't have a lot, a lot of time for it, but because they decided to prioritize it. Not because they're getting paid for it, but because they believe in it. No act of service is insignificant when it's done for the most significant purpose of pointing people to Jesus. That's what all of you do when you serve. And man, I'm grateful. Thank you for what you're doing. God is grateful for what you're doing, being a testimony of his kingdom. Joel 2.28 And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. You and I, we are the church. When, when we're together, when we gather, we're also the church when we scatter. We're the church when we're not in this room. We're in the church when we're not all together. See, being the church, it's not a part-time gig. Being the church isn't just like, oh, 60 minutes that I put on my schedule on a Sunday. When you choose to follow Jesus, you sign a full-time kingdom employee contract. Did you know that? Yeah, God tells us about that this way. Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my, my what? Yeah, my witnesses. He goes, that, that's who you are when you choose to follow me. Now you're different. Now you are my witnesses. And witnesses, that's not part-time. There's no such thing as a part-time kingdom witness. Well, I, I'll, I'll be a, a Christian some of the time. And I'll choose to follow Jesus once in a while. And, and I'll choose, you know, to commit to his way when it kind of works out with what I'm doing. Well, no, that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible says it's a full-time gig. Perhaps your vocation, you know, is in the financial field or the educational field or the healthcare field or the, the legal field or some other field. No matter who pays your salary, you are a full-time employee of the kingdom of God. Wherever you go to school, where, wherever you work, that, that is a part of the ministry that God has given to you. Whatever decision, every time you make a decision, you have an opportunity to show people to be a witness of the kingdom of Jesus. Every document you type, every client you meet, meet every classroom that you attend, every product you sell, every employee that, that you work with, every conversation that you have, you are a taste of the kingdom of God in your sphere of influence. Each is an opportunity to live beyond yourself, to serve and to bless others just like Jesus did. You are his witnesses. You are his followers. You are his church. Everywhere you set foot is kingdom ground.
Joel puts that this way. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Who's given the Holy Spirit? Well, we are. Who are the prophets? Joel says, we are. Who are the dreamers? We are. Who are the visionaries? We are. This, this isn't just one person or a few highly gifted people. This is a movement. And Joel and Peter and God are saying, you are invited. You're invited. And you know what that is? You know what we call this? This image that Joel had thousands of years ago? There's a name for it. It's called church. It's church. Joel 2, 28 and 29, that is the church. The church was God's plan. The church was God's strategy. And it still is. Don't be content going to church. Don't be content believing in church. Don't be content belonging to church. Be church. Be church. God invites you, Jesus empowers you, and the Holy Spirit guides you. Here's how to be church day after day after day. Just open yourself up to his leading. Just say, Spirit, today, what role can I play today? I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm listening throughout the day. How can I participate today? Who can I bless today? Who can I serve today? How can I be a witness of Jesus today? That's the church. That's your role. That's your calling. Thanks for joining us today and listening to our weekly podcast. My name is Will Heron. I'm the director of discipleship here at The Ridge. If you would like to dig a little deeper into what we've been talking about today, uh, be sure to check out Beyond the Sermon. This is a weekly devotional that goes out after second service on Sunday. There you'll find the scripture that we've been looking at, some questions for you to, to dive into. But then there's also a discussion uh, that I have with whoever is teaching that Sunday, and we just dive deeper into different themes and topics from the sermon. If you've enjoyed our podcast, feel free to share it with your friends. And also jump on our website, ridgelife.org, to get more connected here at the Ridge.